0: chapter 4 will be in verses 10 through 23, so we'll finish the letter that Paul wrote to the beloved saints in Philippi this morning. Our aim this morning as we conclude is this, true contentment for the believer is rooted in his resting in Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and intercession. True contentment for the believer is rooted in his resting in Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and intercession. That's our aim this morning. We hope that we can draw out from the text this aim. But before I dive all the way into the text, I want I want to say... Um, three words of thanks there's there's a lot of people that i could say thank you to this morning for a lot of things but i want to be um really short with this but i also want to say so say this adequately Uh, i do want to say thanks to pastor jordan for um, just encouragement in preparing for philippians and um for being willing to take his family to india for Three months, and to trust the elders here to continue to preach the word of God, and um, so there's a great deal of encouragement and uh, a small confession goes with that. I just want to—I uh, I may have already said something to Jordan, but I snuck into his office and dug out his Philippians folder while he was gone and stole some of his notes. Uh, I did return them, but thank you for those as well. I want to say thanks to Jeff Hill. Most people don't know, but. Every week in preparation for Philippians, except one where I was uh, sick, Jeff Hill met with me to do sermon preparation through Philippians, and uh, he spent a great deal of time in the book as well, and because of that, I've benefited from Jeff over the book of Philippians, and because of that, you've benefited from the book of Philippians as well, and so I just want to thank that brother for his labors. He came prepared every week, and very much input every sermon has jeff hill's imprint on it so i'm thankful for that and then i want to say thanks to my wife this is not a uh, a shot at brownie points to say this publicly but I, i believe she deserves recognition publicly for me to say thank you to her for three months she's labored in the home and i've already told her all these things individually but i want you as a church to know and i've said this before anytime somebody stands in the pulpit their wife has labored that week as well to see that the preparation and My wife's been doing it for three months, and I just want to say thanks again for all that you did at home to give me opportunity to do what I am able to do on Sunday. With the thanks out of the way, uh, I'm thankful most of all that uh, this word is about God, and this is God's revelation to us. With that being said, let's look at the text today. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, Paul writes to the Philippians, He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. For indeed you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever my circumstances. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secrets of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, which you have sent a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May God add a blessing to the reading of his Word. There's a vast range of circumstances among the people present here this morning. If we were to begin to discuss among one another our current set of circumstances in life, we would find that there's a wide range of difficulties and comforts that we are experiencing. Despite the wide range of these circumstances, according to God's word, we can remain content in any and every circumstance. As we saw earlier in Philippians chapter 4, in order to obey the command to stand firm in the Lord, we are to be content or be anxious for nothing. This morning's text takes us even further into what true contentment looks like. It's obvious that Paul was greatly concerned about the contentment of the Philippian saints. But why? I believe this morning's text will give us some insight. When I say, be content, or when I use the word contentment, what do I mean? What does contentment mean? Well, according to our popular English dictionaries, contentment means this. The state of being satisfied in one's possessions, status, and situation. The state of being satisfied in one's possessions, status, and situation. At least that's how the dictionary describes contentment. But I would say that it's quite the opposite. That scripture would support what I'm about to say. Rather than one's satisfaction relying on one's possessions, status, and situation, I say that contentment is being satisfied despite one's possessions, status, and situation. Ultimately, we don't want the dictionary's definition, or even my own opinion about contentment, we want what God describes true contentment to be and I believe that God reveals the secret of true contentment in today's text the reason that I say contentment is a secret is because God's word says it is in verse 12 of this chapter so what is the secret to being truly content what is the secret of being truly content that's what we want to that's what we want to mind this morning that's what we want to unearth from God's word So this morning, let's look at the secrets of true contentment. There'll be three that we kind of zero in on in the text as Paul describes himself and his contentment to the church in Philippi. So we'll see in verses 10 through 13, Paul's contentment, which is godly contentment. Look with me back in verse 10. Paul says this, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. For indeed you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Paul begins this section of Philippians by commenting on their concern to meet his needs. The phrase that now at last, you have revived your concern for me is not a derogatory statement. He's not complaining like finally you've gotten around to being concerned about me. Paul wasn't complaining. He wasn't complaining that they had failed to think of him or to be concerned about him or to support him or to supply him for a while but rather he was only delighting in the fact that they were finally given an opportunity by God to serve in the furtherance of the gospel and the ministry of Paul the very thing that they had always been eager to do they had proven so paul says it later in this text it wasn't it wasn't finally you're helping So I hope we don't misread that. But rather, Paul is thankful that the opportunity that they had been waiting for had finally arrived. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. This was a tricky spot for Paul because he didn't want to sound as if he only wanted their gifts that they had to bring to him. But rather, he was rejoicing in the Lord for their concern for him. Do you catch that? The corporate aspect of that? Paul was delighting that they were concerned for him. But his delight wasn't that they were concerned for him so much. His delight was in the Lord. Because they had concern for him. Maybe you know what I mean. Some people will voice their thanks in order that they may receive another gift. Have you ever experienced that? It's not necessarily a bad thing for somebody to say thank you. Thank you for this $100 bill you just gave me. Maybe you'll give me another one. My children do this from time to time. You reward them for doing something well. And so they continue to do that something over and over again. Even if it's not necessary. Because they think that they're going to receive another reward. Isn't that right? Josiah's smiling. He's thinking. He's thinking. This was not Paul's mindset. Paul was genuinely more interested in their honoring God by being concerned about the provision of a missionary preaching the gospel and making disciples than he was about receiving some sort of gift from them. Paul was demonstrating for the Philippians an unnatural contentment, a contentedness in God by rejoicing in God, not a gift, but for the spiritual benefit of those giving the gift that they would receive. Paul's joy for or his contentedness wasn't based on his wants or even his needs. Or even in the fact that the Philippians were generously giving to him. Paul was rejoicing in the Lord for the Lord's work in the hearts of those believers in Philippi. What Paul was so excited about, what he was so joyous about, was that he saw God was at work in the Philippians. And he rejoiced in that. Paul's joy was found in God. And therefore, it was an immovable joy, not some fickle joy based on circumstances or gifts. When our joy is found in Christ, the circumstances of life don't affect us. They have no sway on our our fixed gaze. True contentment can only be found when our eyes are fixed on the object or the source of true joy. The way that we have joy, we've talked about this in Philippians, is fixing our eyes on Christ. The one who gives us joy, the one who makes us joyful, the one who perfectly, in the most excellent way, exemplifies joy. One who is always rejoicing in the Lord can know true contentment. The second thing that I want us to see, not only does true contentment exist in those who always rejoice in God, but secondly, true contentment comes to those who desire God and God alone. If your desire is for God and God alone, then you can know true contentment. Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 Listen to what Paul says. He says, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul says he doesn't speak from want. Paul is not in want. Which means he already has what he wants. Do you hear the radical countercultural language Paul is using? We all have our needs met the majority of the time. But it is our wants that cause us to fix our gaze on the things of this world rather than Christ. As we will see later in the text, Paul is indeed in need. He's not just in want, Paul has. Necessities that aren't being met. Missing basic necessities for life. And yet, he says, Not that I speak from want. Which means, even though Paul has necessities in life that aren't being met, Paul says, I have all I want. Paul had Christ. And if he had Christ, then he had the circumstances, excuse me, then the circumstances surrounding him were of no effect On him. Now that's a very big statement. Paul had Christ. And Christ was all that he wanted. Let's not just skip past that. Paul had Christ. And Christ is all that he wanted. I want you to notice that Paul said. I have learned to be content. Paul wasn't born content. But he learned contentment. If you struggle with contentment. I want to encourage you several things let me just be uh let me just apply right now let's just think this let's be really simple and think clearly here if you struggle with contentment then i want to encourage you three things really quickly not to remain discontent why is it that when we we become discontent that sometimes we choose listen to me we choose to stay discontent it's almost like we enjoy being discontent why would we do that Don't remain discontent. Well, how do we do that? Not to seek contentment in something outside of God. The reason you're discontent is because you continue to seek things outside of God. And so why would I say, when we're discontent, that we would want to stay discontent? Well, the reason I say that is because when you become discontent and in your effort to become content again, you try every means possible except going to God, then you're really not trying to be content. You're happy in your discontentment somehow, for some reason. If you don't go to God, you'll never be content. If you're discontent and you don't go to God, you're going to remain discontent. And to seek contentment from God, we have to go to God in his word. And honestly, Philippians is a great book to begin because it deals with that. So if you're one who is especially prone to be discontent, then I would highly recommend you studying Philippians for quite some time. Don't believe that your circumstances are so unique that you cannot experience peace, like Paul says, that surpasses all comprehension. The God of peace according to his word, will be with you and contentment can be learned. If you only want God, listen to me, and that's what you pursue, you will never be disappointed. If you only want God and that's what you pursue, you'll never be disappointed because God promises to draw near to those who draw near to him. And he says in his word, seek me and I will be found. But maybe you're thinking about your circumstances this morning and you'd say, but Brian, everybody's circumstances are different. They're not all the same. And that's true. Everybody has different circumstances in one sense. Different things are happening to us. We came from different backgrounds. We have different jobs. We have different home lives. Everybody's marriage is different. All those things are true. But the secret to contentment, regardless of circumstances, is the same. But you'd say, I've had more difficult circumstances than others, so contentment is easier for someone who has wealth or prosperity. What about us who are suffering or are in need? Well, imagine with me for a second, if you can, if if I held a ball in my hand, like a globe. So here's this round ball, and then let's split it in half, just like the equator, so you have two halves of this ball, a line right down the middle and just as the equator divides the earth in half so this this line would divide this ball in half and to the north of the line is wealth prosperity riches glory power social standing security and then to the south of the line is poverty despair difficulty turmoil degradation weakness sickness low social status a lack of safety the reality is, according to Paul, that true contentment can be had by anyone, regardless of where you may be located on the ball. So if you're at the North Pole, you're at the height of all things that we would consider positive. True contentment can be had there. And you're thinking, well, yeah, of course, easy. And the same can be said if you're at the bottom of that ball, the South Pole of it, if you will, when you face every oppression that we could possibly think To be known of man. But the contentment of someone who lives in the prosperous north is vastly different than someone who lives in the struggling south. It would look different. Listen to what Paul says to the Philippians concerning this kind of contentment in verse 12. He says, I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. Does that not describe both halves of that ball that we just talked about? The question arises to those who come from the well-to-do backgrounds. Whether you would be comfortable and content if you were suddenly forced to live in poverty. What if God stripped everything away from you right now? I'd say that the majority, if not every person in this room, is now in a well-to-do position. And if you've ever visited third world countries, then you would have a real grasp of what real poverty is. And I know of little poverty here in the U.S. So what if God stripped all that we have here away from us? All the comforts that we have in this life. Would the loss of comforts that you have been accustomed to make you discontent? What if it was all stripped away from us? Our homes, our vehicles, our packed pantries, warm clothes. What if all those things were stripped from us? Could you say that you could still be content? What about the other side? Maybe you've come from a difficult background and that you have dealt with poverty. And the question is, could you be content if you suddenly fell into great wealth and prosperity? Would instant wealth corrupt you? To be truly content, you can only have an eye for God and nothing else. And so poverty and wealth, according to Paul, have little bearing on contentment. Paul had been exposed to both and was not rattled by either. Paul insists that true contentment operates under both conditions. Paul graciously submitted to the sovereign will of God because he knew and trusted our sovereign God. Paul saw that the Lord's sovereign hand was at play in the entirety of his life. Paul saw his affliction as fellowship with the suffering Savior. Paul saw the unexpected turns in his life as the guiding hand of a sovereign God. Paul didn't get upset about his circumstances, no matter how bleak, because he saw them in the real reality. He didn't see them on the physical side of things, but the spiritual. He writes about this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. He says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul didn't see the temporary. He didn't see the physical things the way that most people see the physical things. He saw his circumstances as God's way of melting his will to God's sovereign will. Remember Philippians chapter 3? Paul was willing to lose everything for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he say in Philippians chapter 3 verse 7? But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul was willing to lose everything for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus more. Paul learned contentment through subtraction. God, take everything away from me except yourself. Then I'll be content. I would venture to say that everybody in this room, at some level, has some discontentment. And whenever you can identify what you're discontent in, let me tell you what your problem is. It's not the thing that you're discontent in. It's the fact that you have not subtracted the thing that you're discontent in from your life. If you subtract that from your life and put Christ in its place, you'll be content. The loss of all other things equals the gain of Christ. True contentment is found in desiring God and God alone. Let's continue in the text and take a look at one of the most misused verses in all of Scripture. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So, number one, we have someone who's truly content. The secret of true contentment means that you would always rejoice in God. That you would desire God and God alone. And the third thing that I want us to see, we'll we'll pull Philippians 4.13 apart, but is this true contentment rest in christ true contentment someone who's truly content rests in christ the secret of of excuse me the secret of christian contentment is quite unlike self-sufficiency the secret of christian contentment is quite unlike self-sufficiency this verse philippians 4:13 i can do all things through christ who strengthens me does not mean that nothing is beyond our capabilities when we are empowered by Christ. That rendering of the verse is completely opposite of the rest of the text. We're not speaking of Paul's ability to cope or to overcome, but rather we're speaking of Paul's ability to hope in God. Paul's not claiming to be so strong that nothing can move him, nor is he simply resolving to be independent of circumstances by some Supreme act of will. Far from it, he immediately confesses that he has, if he has reached any level of contentment at all, he owes it to God. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This verse is not about us, but God. This verse is not about us doing whatever we want because we are a Christian. This verse is not an automatic source of power that we can tap into that gives us some advantage over others in this life this verse is not about what you can do but about the one who strengthens you yes it says that i can do but listen to the rest of the verse i can do all things through christ because he's the one who strengthens us it's about the strength of christ that we are sustained and content Paul saw that the Lord's sovereign hand was in all things in life, right? And he knows that if God's going to take him through circumstances in life, the only way that he can be sustained is by God. This verse is about us resting in Christ. About us resting in Christ to strengthen us. About us resting in Christ to make us content in any and every circumstance. This verse is about us casting ourselves completely upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. We must rest in Christ's accomplished work on the cross or there will be, excuse me, or there would be no rest for our weary soul. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus wasn't speaking about physical rest here. But rather spiritual rest. Rest for your souls. The rest is our salvation. Apart from Christ's crucifixion. There is no rest because there is no salvation. So true contentment rests in Christ. But not just Christ. But Christ's works his crucifixion. We must rest in Christ's atoning work on the cross. We must believe that there is salvation in no one else. We must believe our sins are forgiven through the shed blood of Christ. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So true contentment can only be had if we rest in Christ and his crucifixion. True contentment can only be had if we rest in Christ and his resurrection we must daily rest in the resurrected jesus that he triumphed over sin and death knowing that he is never to die again we must believe that we have been uniting with him in the likeness of his resurrection and that our old self has been crucified so that we too might walk in newness of life you want to know how to be content believe in the resurrection of jesus christ Paul says in 310 of Philippians that I may know Christ. He wants to know Christ how and the power of his resurrection. True contentment can only be had in when we rest in Christ's crucifixion, when we rest in Christ's resurrection. And when we rest in Christ's intercession. We must rest in Christ's position as our mediator between God and man. He not only sheltered us from the wrath of God, but he now sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, making intercession on our behalf. Hebrews chapter 7, 25. Have we already crossed that verse, Jordan? It's coming. Hebrews seven twenty five. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ is making intercession for us as believers right now. We must daily be believing these truths about Christ, that he was crucified on our behalf, that he was resurrected to make us new creatures, that he intercedes on our behalf for true true contentment to reside in our hearts. To rest in Christ, we must exercise faith. Remember the statement two weeks ago? The first half of Philippians chapter 4, the commands of God are always preceded by promises from God. We've already established today that the crucifixion, the resurrection and the intercession of Christ are promises that have been fulfilled upon which we must rest in, we must believe in for true contentment. But I believe there must be results from our resting in these promises. What if we have learned the secret of always rejoicing in God? What if we've truly learned the secret of desiring God and God alone? What if we've truly learned the secret of resting in Christ? What if we do that? I believe it will produce actions upon our part. That if we have believed in these things that the fruit of that the actions of that will just transpire let's look at philippians chapter 4 let's press from 4 14 through 18 here paul says this nevertheless you have done well to share with me in my affliction so he says Philippians 4.13, can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, he says to the Philippians, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Verse 15, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now I want you to see several things about Paul that I believe are actions that he carries out because he's content in Christ. And it's beginning to spill over to the Philippians here. We see evidence of that. He says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. That means that the Philippians shared with Paul in being afflicted. Which means Paul was certainly afflicted and so was the church in Philippi. They're sharing in afflictions with one another. I believe that's an action of contentment. That we're willing to share in suffering with others. When we're content... We're happy to suffer with others. Secondly, I want, to see, I want us to see this. That we begin to... When we're content, we begin to give of our resources. When we're discontent, especially in the arena of material things, then we're always trying to obtain more things for ourselves. And so that's where our finances are spent. But when we're content in Christ, we begin to give of our resources. Listen to what Paul says. He says, you yourselves also know Philippians... That at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Now, I want you to see it's going two ways again. Not only did Paul share in suffering with the Philippians, but he says giving and receiving, which means gifts were going both directions. Paul's right in the midst of that. Well, when we're truly content, we are giving of our resources. We're giving of our resources. Let's look at the third thing. Verses, well, verse 17. Paul says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Again, because Paul's content, he cares very little about the actual gifts that he receives. But his concern is what? But I seek for the profit which increases to your account. When you're truly content, not only are you willing to share in suffering and give of resources, but you begin to seek the profit of others. You begin to seek the profit of others. You you begin to... Desire for others to profit, to benefit, to grow. And Paul clearly is speaking spiritually here. That becomes your desire. You want people to taste the same contentment in Christ that you taste. And then look at verse 18. He says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Do you hear the language that he uses in verse 18? He's he's conjuring up the old language of sacrifice and these scented aromas that would be common to the people here in Philippi. He says it's well-pleasing to God. He's conjuring up their thoughts there. He's saying, I'm amply supplied because of what you've sent. And he's, 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 he's bringing to their minds this. But I want you to see what he says at the beginning of verse 18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied. I am amply supplied. Paul was in need. We know he says suffering need. At this point in his life, Paul's writing from a prison. He's in prison. And he's writing to the Philippians about the gift that he's received, that they sent through the servant Epaphroditus. Listen to his description again of what he's received. I have received everything in full and have an abundance, he says. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. Paul is praising them for the gift. He's thankful for the Philippians. And he says at the beginning of today's text, but I rejoice greatly that now at last you you have revived your concern for me. Paul was thankful for the church in Philippi. He loved these dear saints, and he says so more than once in the letter. Now, wouldn't you say that the goal of Paul was to first be an example of one who is content in Christ and then to teach them how to be content? That was Paul's goal. But there is also, I believe, a reward birthed out of this rare jewel of Christian contentment. There's a reward. There's a greater reward than anything that we've talked about this morning. Yes, we have these secrets of true contentment and we can... We can rejoice in God always and we can desire God alone and rest in Christ and we can know Christ more. And these, it, it produces these actions of sharing and suffering and giving of resources and seeking the profits of others and being thankful for those who have walked alongside us. But I believe that there's a, a reward, a, a fruit of this contentment that is more valuable if we fix our eyes on it than all else we've talked about this morning. Listen to what he says in verse 19. Verse 19 and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. All those needs we have, those needs that we would so desperately strive to meet in our own power apart from Christ, those needs we so visibly see right before us on a daily basis that test our faith in Christ, those needs that make us decide if, God is really going to meet these or am I going to have to do something about this on my own? Do you ever you ever get to that point where we're not trusting in the storehouses of God to supply us for what we truly need? And we think that in our own strength, I'll go and accomplish this on my own. Let me ask a serious question. Do you have, A need before you today? Is there a need as you think through life and circumstances? Is there a need that you're unable to meet? Rest in God. Be content. Don't fret over your circumstances because my God will supply all your needs according to his riches. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. God's power to meet our needs is limitless. When God meets our needs, He does so without exerting the least of His power. Oh, that we would rest in Christ and have God Almighty meet our needs with His riches. His riches in glory, rather than foolishly struggling through this life in our own strength. Does knowing this Christ not evoke Worship in your heart. Do you know this God who can supply all your needs from his storehouses, from his riches? Do you know that God? Was well, Paul is writing this letter. We've talked about several things over the last three months that Paul was trying to address to the church in Philippi. Their love for one another. Their they preaching of the gospel to the city of Philippi. Paul was concerned about those things. Th- those things, their joy in the Lord, their contentment, their their forward looking that they were hoping in Christ's return. Paul's concerned about all these things. and He's just penning a letter. Obviously, he's divinely inspired by God, but he's pinning a letter to these people. And then I want you to see what happens. Paul gets the reward. Of contentment that he's trying to draw out. For the Philippians. I want you to see what happens. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So Paul begins to think: it's my God who can do this. It's my God who can supply all needs with his riches in glory. In Christ Jesus. And so Paul's just, he's just ramping up his thoughts about God. And his, his thoughts about God begin to ramp up. He explodes into worship. He gets God. His eyes become fixed on Christ. He gets the reward of true contentment. Listen to what he says. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's exploded into worship. He's worshiping God now. I don't even think he has the Philippians in mind at this point. He's worshiping God. They're going to benefit He's forgotten about who he's writing to and he's fixed his eyes on God and he's writing. Listen to it again. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Does knowing this Christ not evoke worship in your heart? Are we not stirred By the great joy of resting in the sovereign hand of the eternal Almighty God, it does Paul, as he concludes his divinely inspired thoughts and address, by exploding into worship of God. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now I want you to see how Paul concludes his letter. He says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Have you caught that phrase? I mean, you can't read any of Paul's writings without seeing in Christ or in Christ Jesus. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. You know how we're to greet one another? In Christ. Greet one another in Christ. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. So as he writes, we know that at least Timothy and Epaphroditus are here. There are others that are with Paul that are able to visit him while he's in prison there in Rome. The brethren who are with me greet you. And then listen what he says. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. You want to get a glimpse into the joy and who Paul is as a person? He has shared the gospel with the prison guard there in Rome, the praetorian guard that it mentions in chapter 1, who belonged to Caesar's household. And now, in the prison that Paul is bound in, he has converted... Believers, there's converted sinners who are now believers. And so he's saying the believers who have been converted since I've been here in prison also greet you. They especially greet you. And then listen to what he says, the blessing that we've pronounced over ourselves at the conclusion of every service where we preach Philippians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit so let me say to you in closing it is in one sense hold lingo but it's still very much the desire of this pastor I know others would concur with what I'm about to say fix your eyes on Jesus know him The way Paul describes desiring to know Him in Philippians chapter 3. Know Him. Rest in Him. His death, His resurrection, His intercession. Rest in Christ. Be content in Christ and Christ alone. And worship this God with me. Let's pray. Father, we have to confess that we suffer from discontentment. Father, I think that we can see in your word that we've become discontent because we have not made Christ our great prize. Father, may we say with Paul, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Father, we want to say with Paul, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Father, we want to say with Paul, I count all things rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Father, we know that our greatest need is also what makes us truly content having Christ. Father, I pray that you would make us a content people in Christ. That we would have true Christian contentment. That we would be content in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Father, may we taste the fruit of that, the reward of that. That we would have Christ. And that we could say with Paul, Now to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever.